Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the podcast, Jacob. It's good to be back. It was in September when we had you last, and you were talking about the Carmel Half Marathon, which you raced in April. And this time, we brought you back to talk about the Wendell Foster Half, which was in November. (laughs) That's right. So it was about two weeks ago, and you have been taking a break. Yes, so I've taken the last two weeks off. I'll start back running on, I don't know, yet Sunday or Monday, starting fresh. I always like to take a, well, I think it's good to take a big break at least once a year so that uh, you're letting your body fully recover to help you prevent injuries. And it's a nice mental break, too. That's right. Shelby's enjoyed it. I think Ellie's enjoyed it, too, having her morning daddy and Ellie time. That's right. Shelby's been uh, sleeping in, and I've been hanging out with Ellie in the mornings. And what did you and Miss Ellie do this morning? Well, we woke up, and we ate some breakfast. She had some of my bagel. And we watched a little bit of TV, played a little bit in her room, read some books. And then a couple hours later, Shelby woke up. Now I'm over here. Now Shelby makes fun of you for how you read to Ellie, but I think it's adorable. I don't see how it's any different than how anybody else reads. Well, Shelby and I are, are both teachers. And, and Jacob's a teacher also. I'm a teacher too. This is, Okay, this is true. <laughs> Shelby is an elementary school teacher, and so she's used to animated reading to children you are a high school math teacher and so there's definitely a difference in the way you read to her and the way Shelby reads to her but both are great I think Ellie enjoys it when I read to her yes she does Ellie enjoys when you do anything with her she is crazy about her duh duh that's right (laughs) well let's talk about the Wendell Foster half okay well before we do that let's just do a slight review when you did the caramel half You got your personal best half marathon time, which was what? It was uh, right around 142. Right around 142. And so when we had you on the podcast a month or so ago, you wanted to do a sub one hour, 35 minute at the Wendell Foster? That's correct. Okay. So I just thought in case our listeners have slept since the last podcast and have forgotten all that, we do a little review. Yeah. So let's talk about your training leading up to the Wendell Foster half. So my training started right after Carmel. I took about a week off and then just started building my miles up all the way back in April. So I've been training for this for, you know, six months, more than six months. Started out with lots of easy miles, right around 20, 25 miles a week. And we ended up building to 50 miles a week. Held that for about six weeks. And yeah, kept most of the runs easy, but did add in some threshold runs right around goal half marathon pace, a little bit faster than goal half marathon pace for uh, a few of the sessions involved 40 minutes at threshold pace. And those were tough workouts. That is a tough workout. 
You're one of our few athletes who actually buys into and is really patient when it comes to patience and easy days easy. Like, how do you get your mind around that and how do you keep from worrying about speed coming later? Well, I just, uh, I have this mindset that in order to get fast over the long term, you have to stay healthy. And if I spend too much time going at an effort that's, you know, too difficult, then I'll get hurt. And I won't be able to do any runs at all. And I experienced that a little bit right around the time Ellie was born. And that was not very fun. And so it's just, I know I'm being patient because if I'm not patient, I won't be able to do it at all. Or at least there's a risk of that. So I want to back up just a minute. The uh, 40 minute effort you did was at half marathon pace, right? Yes. Instead of threshold pace. Yes. But there were several workouts where I did maybe four by 10 minutes at threshold eight by five minutes at threshold, two by 20 minutes at threshold. So there was several workouts where there was 40 minutes of that threshold pace. There was very little training that you did that was faster than threshold. I was just thinking about that this morning and we didn't do anything faster than threshold other than some 10 second strides. And it's funny that we're mentioning that because the way the, that the strides were loaded into the workout, it was like 20 seconds of stride with 40 seconds recovery. And I realized that that was too tough. And I went to you and I said, I need more recovery because I'm not able to catch my breath between these strides. And the purpose of strides is to not be out of breath. The purpose of the strides is to, you know, get the legs turned over really fast and help improve running economy, not to tax the cardiovascular system. Exactly. I remember I was running through KWC thinking, I need more recovery. It was great feedback and... We took it under advisement, made some changes. We actually made the change to a lot of our athletes after that feedback. So did everything go really smooth during your training or did you have any any issues during Uh, training? So just looking through my data, I like to look at Strava. There was a few hiccups. Uh, There was one week in June where I didn't do as many miles. And that was because I was on vacation with Shelby and Ellie and Shelby's parents and... I think I just didn't run the day that we left, like maybe the day before we left and the day we left because it had been uh, a tough week of training and a tough week of playing hard on the beach with Ellie and Shelby and I was tired and Shelby needed help packing and so that's what I did instead of running. So I missed a few days there and then... Well, while you're in, let's talk about Florida a bit. So that was a 10 to 12 hour drive. Yeah. So I think what you and I had talked about trying to avoid running the morning of your long drive so that your legs wouldn't get stiff on the car ride. I remember that. And then also try to get out at least every 90 minutes or every two hours, get out and stretch the legs. But I think you all were on a mission to get home. Yes. So we stopped a lot on the way to Gulf Shores, but on the way home, we maybe only stopped two or three times on the whole drive, which Gulf Shores is only probably about eight or nine hour drive. Okay. So. And not in Florida. And not in Florida. Yeah. It's yeah. In good point. <laughs> the Gulf Coast. Yeah. I call it Florida too, a lot, even when we were down there. It just seems like Florida to us when we're at the beach because that's where we usually go. Yeah. Definitely felt like Florida. Any other setbacks in your training? So towards the end of August, right after the start of the school year, I uh, experienced a little bit of foot pain. I contributed to wearing non-supportive shoes at school. So I had to take a few days off there because of foot pain. And during that little 
injury, Ellie actually got a little sick, had to stay the night in the hospital, and the combination of the frustration from the foot pain and the exhaustion from the hospital, I lost motivation a little bit for training, so I probably took about a week off that week. I was feeling a little burnout, I needed a reset, and actually that's when you started running with me to do a lot of my training runs, too. I think you said, I'm coming over and we're going to run. That's what I said. (laughs) What time do we need to get up? That's right. And so that's when we transitioned to running in the morning, and that was good for my consistency, and I'm glad we did that. Yeah, and you were able to do more miles than I was at the time, so sometimes when you were doing workouts, I would run a little and then hop on the bike Mm -hmm. and ride. Yep. It was was good father-son time. And it was warmer than it is today at 25 degrees, hopping on the bike may have taken a little more dedication. Yeah, it was very cold today. (laughs) I was bundled up today. Dad did go on some bike rides in some pretty cold, rainy conditions a few days. He did. Just not 25, but on the bike, 50 and raining is cold. Yes. Yes, it is. And Dad's really good at uh, finding things to talk about when we're running, and especially when I'm doing an effort. He uh, likes to talk to me about all sorts of things. Yeah. And hopefully I don't tell the same stories more than once or twice. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's happened yet. Oh, good. Good. It's coming. I'm sure it is. (laughs) So after that little down week at the end of August and beginning of September, I was really consistent with my training all the way up until two weeks before Wendell Foster when I got, I was a little bit under the weather. So I didn't feel too terribly bad, but I was a little bit afraid that I may have had COVID. And so I went and got tested and it was negative, but just... Because it was two weeks out from the race, I really wanted to get over this sickness really fast. So I took a couple days off, missed a long run, missed like the last big long run workout before the half marathon, just because I wanted to be healthy at the starting line. And so I came back and that about 10 days out from the race, I had some threshold work and it just didn't feel very good. And so that was a little bit scary because I felt really good about a month out from the race. And then two weeks before the race, I got a little sick and I wasn't feeling very good. But I, you know, kept doing my easy runs. I think I only had one threshold level effort between, like, within the last two weeks of the training block. So and we adjusted things yeah. some because of your illness, and you know, adjusted because you needed a few days off to recover. But you were still coughing a little bit yeah. as the race approached. Yeah, I was coughing and having to blow my nose during runs, which was unusual for me. Uh, I had never really had to worry about that prior to that sickness. And then the Thursday before the race, I came over to your guys' house, to Coach Paul and Dean's house, because that's where Ellie was. And Shelby knew I didn't feel good, and Mom knew I didn't feel very good. But they didn't, I don't think they really believed me. I was just laying on the floor under the blanket. And then they took my temperature, and I had a fever of 101. So this was two days before the race. It was Thursday night, and the race was on Saturday. So then I washed my blanket. So then she washed her blanket, and everybody was looking at me like, did I just spread the COVID to everybody in the whole family, <laughs> hanging out over at mom and dad's house? But I went and got tested Friday morning. I didn't go to school. For the second time in two weeks. So for the yeah. second time in two weeks, I got tested for COVID, and it was negative again. And I actually felt much better Friday morning because my fever broke Thursday night while I was sleeping or while I was trying to sleep. I was feeling a lot better. I didn't do a run on Thursday because that was a scheduled day off. And I didn't do my shakeout run on Friday because I was just trying to make sure I was healthy. And then 
I had my dad go pick up my packet for me because if I was sick, I didn't want to spread it to anybody at the convention center. Very considerate. Yes. But I started feeling better and I ate a good dinner Friday night, which was a mistake I made from Carmel, not eating a good dinner. And so what did you eat Friday night? Well, our athletes are always wanting good ideas for pre-race meals. Well, this wasn't a gourmet meal by any means, but, and it was probably more than what most people would want to eat. (laughs) But this is what I've been doing for before some of my long runs. I ate four servings of Kroger brand, just plain spaghetti, just plain white spaghetti. So that's 800 calories of noodles with two servings of Rayos, so 250 grams of Rayos, and two pieces of toast. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it's probably about 1,400 calories worth of food, pretty much all carbs. But I had done it before a few of my long runs, before a few of my training runs, and it set my stomach pretty well, and it worked out good for me for when foster. So, so what about your race morning nutrition? So Saturday morning, I woke up really early, like around 5 a.m., because I wanted to give myself plenty of time to have everything digest. And I just ate a plain bagel with nothing on it. I was planning on eating a banana, but just like in Carmel, I decided the banana just doesn't sound very good. Uh, I had a fresh banana this time. (laughs) You can't blame me for the banana this time. Yeah, but the banana just didn't sound very appetizing, and I didn't eat it. So just had a plain bagel, and then I was thinking I need to drink lots of water. So I drank lots of water starting at 5 in the morning. I went to the bathroom several times to make sure I didn't have to go to the bathroom during the race, and that covered my pre-race nutrition, mostly. 30 minutes before the race started at 7 a.m., I took a gel, drank more water with that. That pretty much covers my race nutrition, pre-race. So you and I had planned for me to get your clothes, because it was a cold morning, so you were going to warm up in some clothes and and then give them to me. Tell us about your warm-up. So we met at our designated meeting spot where the athlete and the fans were going to separate because uh, Coach Dean and Bethany and Shelby executed flawlessly an insane fan plan. So that's where we met up. And that fan plan may have been more practiced than the race. I'd have a hard time believing that. <laughs> um, but for my warm up, it was 15 minute run. I did a couple 20 second strides and I think I did two by 40 seconds at half marathon pace. Which I wanted to, I'm still a relatively new runner, and I have a hard time knowing in a short time frame what pace I'm going. So, you know, 20 minutes before the race, 15 minutes before the race, I wanted to make sure that my legs were moving at the right speed so that at the start of the race that I I would be confident that I don't go out too fast, I don't go out too slow, I can go out at exactly the right pace. So that, but I got confused in the workout because... On the warm-up? Yeah, I got confused. I did a stride, and then I did a rest, and then I did a stride, and then I did a rest. And then I went straight into the half marathon pace, but I think there was another... There was a recovery. There was another recovery after the rest at the end of the stride <laughs> yeah. in training peaks. So I don't know if you saw that in the data. You probably didn't even look at the warm-up. I didn't. But I accidentally did a pickup on a non-pickup, so it was a minute instead of 45 seconds. It worked out. Your legs were loosened up and ready to go. That's right. And you had the mental confidence that you knew what pace you, your legs needed to go. That's right. And I even cut the warm-up 30 seconds short and jumped straight into port potty Because <laughs> there was no line. Since you and I were running together most mornings, 
and this race was in Owensboro, we were able to get out on the course. And before race day, we had covered every inch of the course. Yeah, so the course goes pretty close by where I live, and we ran that section of the course a bunch of times. Like, um, And then we ran the ending section of the course at least five times, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge confidence booster for me, just knowing the end of the race, being on roads that I was familiar with, knowing that the end of the race was downhill for the last two and a half, three miles was also a confidence booster. And just... Mm, in Carmel, I was close to the end, and we were on a greenbelt-type path, and I was like, oh, are we almost there? Where's mile 12? Where's mile 13? Well, here, I knew exactly where mile 12 was. Mile 12 is right there near the corner of Locust and Parish, mm-hmm. And so, and that's just, just knowing where the mile markers are was a huge confidence booster for me and helped with the mental toughness of the race, I think. Yeah, you mentioned the last couple miles being downhill. Just if people aren't familiar with the course, it's not a net downhill race. Like the start and finish line is in the exact same location. So you went up that elevation at some point in the race to get back down it. Yeah. So it was a fair course. It's a fair course. Yeah. There's a... Somewhat of a technical part of the course early in the race where you do a little zigzag through the Wendell Foster Center parking lot. So we were very intentional to practice that little section. Yeah, we did. I'm pretty sure I did a stride through there a couple times and some threshold effort through there at least once just to make sure that I didn't. There are some tight corners. You know, the shape on straw, it almost looks like a P, a capital P, the route you run. So, um, but other than that, it's much more exciting to run through there on race day, though, because the residents are out cheering you. So it's a pretty, Mm -hmm. I know why they put that in the course, even though it makes the course a little bit odd. It's definitely worth it to run through and have all those residents out there cheering. I agree. So take us to the start. You've done your warm up. You're at the starting line. They sing the national anthem. Yeah. So I handed off all my clothes to you and all I'm left with is... Socks, shoes, shorts, a tank top, a sock hat, and some gloves. And and it's in the 20s. Uh, it probably felt like it was in the 20s, but it was probably in the 30s. 30s. But I remember I didn't feel cold before the race. I was with some buddies that I'd been running with at some of the Wendell Foster host training runs on Saturdays. So some guys that I had met through those training runs, I was standing with them. We were talking, trying to keep the nerves down, and I didn't feel cold at all. And so I stand at the starting line, and they had a stroller division, which John, who was on the podcast uh, a few months ago, he was in the stroller division running. And so they took off about three minutes before everyone else. And I remember thinking that everybody was standing really far away from the starting line. And I think that me and a couple other guys, we, we were ready to get up closer to the starting line. Right. So, and that may have been my fault because I was the two hour, five minute pacer. So I thought in my mind, okay, where would the 130 be? Where would the 140 be? And in my mind, I put myself where 205 would be. Well, for some reason, all the pacers came and congregated right there. (laughs) I'm thinking this is not going to work. But finally, after the wheelchair division took off, the 130 people moved up and the guy that was helping pace with me, he started moving up. I'm like, no, we're going to stay right here because I guarantee you everybody around us was in a two-hour pace group. They just couldn't get to it. So it finally spaced out and gapped a little bit. Yeah, and I was probably a little bit closer to the start than I should have been because when the race started, 
I got passed by a bunch of people, but I'm pretty sure I caught most of them back in the first couple miles. I think a lot of people went out really fast. And even I went out really fast. Like before I got to the first turn, I looked at my watch and it said I was going 6.15 pace. (laughs) And I mean, this is 20 seconds into the race. And so I was like, okay, I'm slowing down. I'm going to get passed by a bunch of guys. I got passed by a guy wearing jean shorts. (laughs) Um, And I I got passed by so many people. In that first 30 seconds of the race. But I was like, you know what? Let them run their race. I'm going to run my race. And I'm not out here competing with any of these people. I'm out here competing with myself. Trying to go under 135. Set a huge PR. And I've got got nothing to prove to these guys passing me right now. But maybe I should have started, you know, a few people back. It's funny. It kind of reminds me a local elementary school setting puts on a 5k every year and a lot of people in the community come out and race this race like runners like dad you like people who are serious and want to run a nice 5k what the starting line all these second and third graders <laughs> just they're up in front of all the guys who are really wanting to race it and so i can remember one year emily racing this race and a kid stopped right in front of her <laughs> like they take off and do a 20-yard dash, and then they're finished, and they just stop. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you didn't experience that. No, I did not experience that, (laughs) thankfully. Yeah. So do you remember what you went through the first mile in? Yeah, so someone that I'd met on a training run at Wendell Foster, I started running side-by-side with her, and around the one-mile mark, she asked what my split said, and it was between 7.05 and 7.07, which was about what I wanted to do. So a month out from the race, I felt pretty confident that I was going to be able to hit my goal of 135. And I said, I think I'm going to try to go a little faster. I'm going to average 705 pace, about nine seconds a mile faster. But since I didn't feel very good the last the few weeks leading into the race, I decided I was going to go for 710 pace instead of 705 pace. And so I remember thinking, we're about 705, 707 pace going in that first mile, which is right around where I wanted to be a little bit faster. And I remember slowing down. I remember thinking, okay, I'm around 705, 707. I want to make sure I'm running my race. This group I'm with, I think they want to go a little faster. And they went off and left me, but I was happy with my decision to run my race and stick to my plan. And that first mile, even though you may not notice it, it's a slight uphill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heading away from the river is definitely going to be uphill. So And you needed to stick to your pace because the fan plan was counting on you not being ahead of your pace. <laughs> that's right. The fan plan was aggressive. and uh, the thing If that, you were coming through at 650 instead of 710, the fan plan probably would have missed you. <laughs> well, we had a few contingencies in our plan. <laughs> we could skip a few of the 14 stops along the way. Yeah, if we if we had to. I have a very dedicated fan base, thankfully. Oh yeah. We'll have to Bethany sent all her video and photos to Emily, that's our niece, Jacob's cousin, and she put together a video. We'll have to put that out on our Facebook group so people can see that. Yeah, and link it to the podcast. We could do that too. Yeah. So at the I guess it was around the mile mark where the Wendell Foster Center campus was at. It was the first place the fans were able to see you. Yeah. And we were out with our cowbells and tambourines and making all kinds of noise. Yeah, using Ellie's toys to cheer me on. <laughs> that was a good purchase, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was really, it was good seeing you guys all over the course. 
And again, Jacob's personality is perfect for that because when he used to play soccer, he used to love it when I would yell on the sidelines like he would say something beforehand. So I'd get all ready. And of course, dad, not knowing this, would go, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like trying to get me to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. So you got dad to be your noisemaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Shelby and Bethany. Mm-hmm. All right. So after the one mile, tell us uh, a little bit about the next stretch of the course. So it's a, it's the first noticeable uphill shortly after the one mile mark. There when you turn left on J.R. Miller. And around that time, well, as I got close to the two mile mark, um, that's when I was planning on taking my first gel. And one thing I did not practice that I should have was taking a gel with a glove on because just, I don't know if it's the specific gloves that I was wearing, like they're pretty thick. I was worried about dropping the gel. So I ended up taking a glove off to eat the gel. What was more challenging was actually getting my water bottle out of my belt to drink the water after the gel because I couldn't feel where the opening on the belt was. So at that point, I made the decision I was going to ditch the gloves. You know, even though I wasn't feeling too warm, I wanted to make sure that I could use my hands without, you know, getting frustrated. And you were wearing a flip belt. A flip belt, yeah. Yeah. So that helps the audience understand the challenge it might be to get to the bottle with a glove. Yeah. And also, even with the glove, I didn't know if I was even feeling the belt or if I was, if the belt was under my shirt. (laughs) I remember you throwing your gloves to me and Shelby and Bethany and it reminded me so much of a moment in the Carmel Half Marathon when you threw your gloves. That's right. It's like the same picture. We got a picture in each half marathon of you throwing your gloves. With the gloves in midair. <laughs> yeah, well, this time in the, I threw the gloves away much earlier on in the race in Winnell Foster. And that's actually a decision that I regret because I got pretty cold towards the end of the race, especially in my arms and my hands. I kept my gloves. I was expecting heading back down toward the river. It would get windy and cold. And there was a slight headwind of chill heading down that Last mile yeah. stretch. I didn't remember thinking that it was windy, but I certainly remember thinking it was cold. It was windy. And the only reason I know that is I wasn't running at a challenging pace. I was doing the pace group, and the one of the ladies who was really struggling, I asked her to just tuck in behind me so I could block the wind and let her just hang on back there. Yeah. And so I tossed my gloves to you guys at the third spot where you guys were cheering for me. So... And uh, after that, that was probably around the two and a half mile mark. I saw you guys shortly after the one mile mark, around the two and a half mile mark, and then also at the two mile mark. I think right at the two mile mark, because you saw me eat the gel. I remember pulling out the gel, and there you guys were. Yeah. So that was pretty close. So one mile, two mile, and two and a half miles, you guys were all there. And were you pretty consistent with your pacing after the mile mark? Yeah, so just looking at Strava after the fact, I was really happy with how I held my paces. I think my slowest mile was maybe mile four at seven sixteen, and there's a that's the the only significant hill on the course is right there mm-hmm. in that you know fourth mile. Is that Byers? Yeah, and then I think my fastest mile in the first eleven miles was seven oh one. So. I was really con- happy with the consistency, but most of the miles were between 7.05 and 7.10, which was, I mean, I, it's good. It's probably the most consistent I've ever run in my, in any run I've ever done for that long amount of time. Because even when I did the 40 minutes at half marathon pace, that workout about a month out from the race, 
I was progressively getting faster towards the end where my last mile or two were probably under seven minute pace because I was feeling good, um, which I wish I hadn't, hadn't have done. But um, it's hard not to go fast when you're feeling good, but sometimes you just got to hold back to to get the benefits from a specific workout. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, mile four is when I really felt like I started catching a lot of the people that passed me um, at the beginning, like, which, of course, I passed some people like within the first mile and the second mile. But some of the people that pulled away from me after the first mile that I said, I'm not going to. I don't want to stick with you guys right now. I'm going to run my race. That's when I realized they had a pretty good gap on me, but I was starting to catch up to them. There's a pretty lonely stretch there on the green belt. So mile four, you get on the green belt and you don't get off until probably mile five and a half. Yeah, if it weren't for the Legends water stop, you wouldn't have seen anybody in that stretch. That's right. Just the two or three people that I was running near. And the RYR go team sign. Yeah, there was a sign (laughs) that, you know... It's funny because mile four is right there as you get on. And I was running. I was like, I saw a sign, a white sign. I was like, oh, wow, we're already at mile five. <laughs> and I was like, oh, nope, that's not mile five. That says RYR endurance team. So <laughs> go team. I think I would have rather seen the sign for mile five, but the RYR endurance team was also, it was good to see it too. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and then once I got off of the green belt, the fans were there. They saw me get on the green belt. They saw me get off the green belt. And that's when I caught back up to that uh, woman that I had met at the training run. And she was probably just a little bit ahead of me. And then I caught up to her shortly after that. And we ran together probably that almost that entire stretch on J.R. Miller. About a two-mile straight stretch. Yeah. And we only ran that once in training because it's a it's a pretty major road in Owensboro. And with a with lot of no traffic. Sh- no shoulder. No sidewalk. Yeah. So we only ran at one time. Yeah. In the dark with a headlight and you have your, your glow vest and mm-hmm. I wore a yellow and orange reflective construction vest on top of my running clothes that day to be extra visible. Yeah. We were definitely being safe. Um, but uh, felt good running down JR. I knew I was about halfway. And at this point I had made the decision because after the first gel, it didn't sit too good on my stomach, and I was a little bit nervous. I decided that that was the only gel I was going to take, which, I, in you know, in hindsight, I'm happy with the decision. But it was a bit of a risk. Um, but I knew that I'd eaten a huge dinner the night before. I'd had a solid breakfast. I'd already had two gels that morning because I took one 30 minutes before the race. So I knew I had way more, I guess, glycogen in my system than I had ever built up for any of my prior races. And I knew that if I took another one, I was probably going to make me feel sick. Yeah. And usually any race under two hours, you can get away with nothing. Yes. Yeah. So, and the only reason that we are doing the gels because the end goal is marathons. Yes. So it's great practice. Great practice. And so I didn't feel like I caught too many people on JR. It was just me and that lady that I was running with and side by side. And we saw some people in the distance. I remember her saying, that guy... He's kind of old, and he's really fast. And I was like, we're going to catch him. Don't worry. We'll catch him. <laughs> Doesn't it feel good to be the one doing the catching instead of being the one getting caught? Yeah, so in Carmel, I was getting passed up left and right in the last couple of miles, and that was really demoralizing. And um, in this race, I was the one doing the catching up, too, and passing people. And you know, I felt kind of bad because I was like, I know what it feels like <laughs> to get passed. You were the predator and not the prey. That's right. 
I know when that happens, I'm always like, well, do I say something? Like, or do I not say something? Like, I want to say good job, but I don't want to make it, I don't want to say anything that's going to make their race any worse. You know, I just, yeah. Or not say anything and make it worse. <laughs> yeah. I just want them to have a great race, too. Yeah. In the last mile, I passed someone and he told me good job. Yeah. And yeah. When somebody's passing, I, I don't I, mind saying good job. I didn't know how to respond. I just said, Thanks. Yeah. Um, so felt kind of bad about that, but so you're cruising along between seven ten and seven oh five. Yep. And you get to the ten mile mark. How are you feeling at ten? So at ten, I had I caught up to another buddy of mine that I met at a Winter Foster training run, someone that I was hanging out with at the start, and so I thought we were going to run together for a little while. I guess I caught up to him and. He didn't stick with me. But then shortly after, someone else, I heard someone else and I thought, oh, he's catching back up. But it was a different guy. A different guy came up and passed me and I was like, oh, this guy's going really fast. I don't want to go with him. So I kept my speed and I felt really good at 10 miles, but I knew there was still a long ways to go. So I didn't do anything to increase my pace at 10 miles, which we had mentioned that that was the plan. Like if we're feeling good at mile 10, we're going to pick up the pace. Which I was feeling good at mile 10, but I wasn't feeling great. So I didn't pick up the pace. I just went, I held steady and focused on, it's right there at a turn near my house and on Lewis Lane on training. Dad said, this is on part of the race where you're going to start catching people. Look at that person in front of you and go catch them. And I didn't really think about that too much at mile 10 uh, on race day. I thought about that more once I turned at the next turn closer to mile 11 on Griffith Avenue. And that's when I saw some people and I was, I'm going to go catch that person. And there was a woman that I didn't know and I saw her up in the distance and I, I did go catch her. And then there was another guy and I went and caught him. And so that felt good going to catch him. And one thing that I, I don't think you told me this, I think I maybe saw this on a YouTube video, but when you catch somebody, you just got to keep running right past them because you don't want to slow down to their pace and run with them. You want to keep going your pace and go right past Right, and if you're if you're really intent on racing against this person, that could be a little demoralizing. Then you want to maybe even put a little surge, yeah, so that they don't latch on. But back on Lewis Lane, do you remember the fan plan driving, yeah, almost onto the course and honking the horn? Yeah, so this was the first point where it was obvious the fan plan wasn't going according to plan. Because I looked over and I was like, that looks like Bethany's car. And so I waved. And then they honked. And they didn't have any time to get out. They had to turn right around. And that actually happened at the next stop, too. They were going to see me again right there at the corner of Lewis and Griffith. And right as I came over the hill, I saw them turning right onto, it's called Roosevelt there. And they didn't have time to jump out again. They just had to honk again. And I don't think I waved this time. Because I was starting to feel a little more tired. We felt like you knew we were there. I definitely knew you were there. And we were improvising. We were adding some bonus stops because we thought you might want to see us a few extra times. Yeah. It was a risk, but we we took it. Yeah. And I will say, just the whole race up into this point, there was great support from volunteers and the community. Lots of people helping out at the aid stations. And there was lots of places on the course where there were just, a, especially on J.R. Miller, There were a lot of people just cheering, not at an aid station, just out there supporting the race. And I remember I saw Dylan Hammonds out there. I said, Dylan, and I gave him a fist bump. He's the only person that I really gave a fist bump through the whole race because I knew he was. And 
He's a good guy. Seeing him was, you know, pretty motivating, and I was feeling good, so let's see. But yeah, the same thing, the atmosphere on Griffith Avenue was also really good. I remember I was running down, and I, the tiger was playing. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And that's the point where I started picking up the pace, because I think my 12th mile was about 6.55, and then my 13th mile was about 6.37. Wow. So the last two miles, I picked it up, and but I didn't feel like I picked up the pace. I just, I felt good and I, I was putting in a hard effort, but I didn't intentionally speed up. That's so a great feeling. There, was there ever a point in the race you thought, ooh, I'm not sure I can hold this pace, or did you feel confident? Well, I, at the beginning of the race, I was nervous about that. The pace felt good, but I was worried that I was going to have some congestion, and I was just worried that the same thing that happened to me in Carmel was going to happen where I just ran out of energy. So, but that's when I decided that I was going to keep it conservative and run my race. So I was nervous, but, and even towards mile six and mile seven, I felt good, but in the back of my mind, I was still worried that I would start slowing down and not be able to pick it back up. And, uh, throughout the early stages of the race, I was nervous that my watch, it was reading about 710, but I was getting to the mile markers and my watch was saying I was, so suppose at mile marker five, my watch said I was 5.1. My watch wasn't matching up with the, the mile markers on the course. And I was worried that I was going too slow on the course miles versus my watch miles. By the end of the race, it said I went 13.14. And that's pretty good. Yeah. So it all evened out by the end of the race. Yeah. Sometimes mile markers aren't set precisely in races. It just depends. Yeah, but... So the go was sub 135. Yes. And the result was... 132.55. I'd say you crushed it. Yeah. So it was a huge swing. Going, coming off Carmel, I wanted to go 140, sub 140 in Carmel. And I missed it by two minutes. And then going into this race, I wanted to go sub 135. And I beat it by two minutes. So it was just a... Couldn't have been a better result. Couldn't have asked for a better outcome. And it set a nine-minute PR, which is, I mean, that's wow. huge. That is huge. From virtual Wendell Foster the year before, I ran about 15 minutes faster. So over the course of a year, shaving off 15 minutes off of my half marathon PR. It was just, I couldn't have been happier with the race. You know, maybe being sick and going out a little more conservative was to my advantage, not going out too hard. But I couldn't be happier with the results. and. And I would say, based on the speed in your last couple of miles, that you've got future PRs in your in your sights as well. I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the key is continuing to stay patient and keep your great philosophy of keeping those easy runs easy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that gives you the strength to make the hard days what they need to be. So before we move away from the Wendell Foster half, walk us through like the last half mile of the race. Did you turn on the afterburners? So I really don't remember feeling like I did. There the, there was a guy that I was, you know, that was in my sights that I ended up passing. He's the one that told me a good job as I passed him. I remember thinking, I'm going to go catch that guy. And I remember seeing another guy that we'd done training runs with, Patrick, and I didn't end up catching him, but I definitely was trying to. Based on Strava, it says that my last point one was at 5.45 per mile pace, so I must have been sprinting at the finish. But I don't really remember saying, okay, I'm going to start just going all out now. Like, I don't think I ever went 
I don't ever, I never went to an all out sprint, but by 45 pace, that certainly feels, I mean, to me, that is pretty close to my stride pace. So maybe I'm just not remembering very well, but I don't remember saying, okay, I'm just going to hand write the last hundred yards or definitely not the last half mile. But I mean, my last mile split was 637, so it's fast. Definitely faster than 710. Well, great job. So what is next for you? So I believe I'm signed up for the Ashland City Half Marathon, which is outside of Nashville. You know, I say I believe because I put it on my Christmas list, you know, so. Well, um, but we'll just see what Santa has We'll just to have to see that. what Santa has to say <laughs> about Ashland City. But that's the plan is to Ashland City and as of this podcast being released, it's about 14 weeks out. And so Santa was informed that Jacob wanted to run in this fast, flat course yeah, fast in flat. Ashland City, Tennessee. And sometimes Santa jumps on things really quickly because, you know, Santa has a lot of things going on. So maybe three hours later... Santa was informed, oh, wait, that course may not be so fast and is definitely not flat, like over 800 feet of gain. Well, I don't know. Sometimes Santa just can't take things back. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm still excited for it. I'm going to treat it like a peak race, just like I did with a foster, and I'm still going to try to PR it and going to say I would like to go under 130. I don't know if that's realistic. We'll have to see how the, you know, the next few months of training goes, but under 130 is definitely a long-term goal. Have you calculated the mile pace for that? Yeah, so to go, if that was the goal I was tackling, I would probably shoot for around 645 a mile just because I think the hit, like the exact pace is 652 and I would like a little cushion, especially knowing that the watch isn't going to be perfectly accurate with the course. I need a, I'd like to get myself a cushion in the 645 it gives me over a minute of cushion so yeah so a lot of those easy days we're going to make sure we incorporate some hilly routes in the next mm-hmm. few months yes which is something i've been very opposed to actually because i attributed some hill repeats in lake forest to some of my knee pain that i experienced a couple years ago yeah right right around the time ellie was born so okay. almost two years ago yeah so we'll have to Think about some quad strengthening and getting you ready for that hilly course. Yeah. We've mentioned Ashland City to a few of our other athletes. And looks like we're going to have a contingency there. I'm assuming Santa signs you up. That's right. I've got a pretty good hunch that I've signed up since I was told I wasn't allowed to look for another one by Santa. Ho, ho, ho. Well, I'll just say, as your mom, I'm super proud of you. And as your coach... Congratulations, consistency, and hard work pay off, and it's all to your credit. Yeah, and it was fun watching you cross the finish line, too. I know. I couldn't believe you stayed out there. It was so windy and cold, and I know after putting in that effort and then me coming through a good 30 minutes later, you had to be freezing. I was freezing. There's pictures, and I'm smiling, but you can tell I'm not looking too happy. Yeah, so you saw the fans 14 times. I saw them once at mile 13 because they can't keep up with you and find the two-hour and five-minute pace group. So I was glad they yeah. chose to support you trying to reach a goal. Yeah. Their support was definitely appreciated and helpful. And there's nothing lonely about a pace group because you have people gathered around you the entire time trying to yeah. reach a goal. Yeah. And 
I, I do feel like I was pretty alone for a lot of the race. A lot of your pictures, you look like you're out there on a solo. Yeah, but there was people in the distance. I can't, there was never a time where there wasn't someone in the chase. That's good. Well, thank you, Jacob, for sharing your story. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you on again, and we look forward to, well, I look forward to training with you, but then also how well you do in your next adventure. Yep, I look forward to it. Sub 130. That's the next goal. I have a scripture I'd like to share today. It is Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.